Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining me as always on Tuesdays, Andrew Malcolm, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, and uh, always here on the Ed Morrissey Show, except last week when he was on our VIP Gold Chat, which was a lot of fun, uh, Andrew, and I hope you had a good time on that. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I've uh, I've not been on many of those, and uh, I enjoyed it. I, I hope the listeners did as well. Well, you should be on. So we're going to have to work on that. We're going to get you on more of those because you should. Okay. Do. All right. I'm game. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, I'm not even sure where to start this week. We certainly have your uh, column. Joe Biden's countless lies have created a dangerous fantasy land for Americans. Um, we've got, um, you know, all sorts of different press coverage of Donald Trump, which we kind of talked out last week. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot more. You know, uh, to well, I have an announcement to make. I have not been indicted. So, me either, crossing my fingers. Um, and of course, you got your Malcolm on the right, avoiding some news is the latest thing, just don't skip this. And I think we might have talked about that, yeah, we did a little bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah, but. But let's talk, let's start off talking about that because we always talk about media and news and that sort of thing, you know. And you know, I I think conservatives are very rightly um uh skeptical <laughs> to say yeah. the least about mainstream media and the news that um the news and I'm going to I'm going to generously say the news uh you know Elon Musk last week you're the prince of twitter I should talk to you about this too Elon Musk yeah. we started labeling different media outlets you know government you know I forget exactly what the term was, but basically government funded mouthpieces is what he's implying with this. And he, he, changed, he changed it to that today. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he tagged NPR with this and NPR was irate over this, even though they get government funding. I mean, it's part of what they get, you know, right, the, right. The, you know, the British it, people were defending the BBC saying that's not what the BBC isn't a government agency and the BBC gets its funding from uh, forced licensing fees from every British television owner uh, in in the country. They, they are required to pay BBC licensing fees, and that's the funding that comes from it. So I just find it rather interesting that government-funded media outlets are very touchy about being government-funded media outlets. I just, I find that interesting. Yeah, yeah they should be. Uh, and if they were really mainstream they would be able to support themselves yes. one of the things one of the things or two things about the mainstream media uh they they have become corrupted um by their own woke values and it's it's sad and the point of that uh malcolm on the right commentary was that uh, a lot of people are tuning out. They're tuning out the news or some of the news. Um, I, I must admit, I do, I do some of that myself, some tuning out some news sometimes. Um, but the flip side of that uh, is that uh, conservatives who are virtually nonstop complaining about the mainstream media need to put uh, a few dollars where their mouth is. And by that, I mean they need to support conservative media or the alternate media. Uh, and they are, if they're listening 
to my commentaries. I'm VIP commentaries. Right, right. Um, uh, but at the very least, to subscribe to the newsletters, which help with the advertising, to to retweet stories they find interesting or worthy. Um, and um, they really need to step up. Uh, they become accustomed. I don't know why, because they used to buy um, – well, I guess TV was free, but they used to buy newspapers. Uh, my family, my whole childhood, yeah, yeah, by yeah. yeah. subscription, and you, you had the, uh, you had the little colored delivery tubes. At least I lived in the country. Little colored delivery tubes out by the road, uh, uh, advertising uh, the Cleveland Press or the Plain Dealer or Akron Beacon Journal or whatever it was. Uh, so they're they should be used to paying for the news and supporting that newspaper. And those days, uh, most of the most of the income, like for the New York Times, came from advertising. Right. But that doesn't work anymore. And well, in part because in, in part because this is the media's fault, right? They've been amplifying yes. they've been amplifying calls to for advertisers to, to boycott advertisers for their competitors, conservative media outlets, and that sort of thing and um, censorship yeah. yeah basically outright censorship and as a result advertisers are just basically abandoning the space now and it doesn't make any difference whether it's conservative platforms or liberal platforms advertisers just really don't want to be involved in it anymore and that's that's an issue for everybody in this space you know and i'll go back to this back in the early days of the blogosphere and i was by no means the very first blogger who came around i i got uh, you were early Captain's I was early. I was early enough, but you know, I was in for the first the first, I think three or four years of when the blogosphere was. It was still really independent. There wasn't even hardly any advertising on blogging. This is something you did just for you know, just because you wanted to have a voice. And in those days, uh, what really united us was the fact that we were alternatives to the mainstream media. And we all more or less sort of supported each other while competing against each other, right? It's just, you know, somebody who got ahead, somebody who got ahead from the blogosphere and was able to succeed. We were all kind of either openly or 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 quietly cheering that on because it was good for the whole thing. Yeah, and right. so we didn't go after each other's advertisers, right? I mean, we didn't, we weren't looking, I wasn't looking over, I can't even think of one right now, you know, um, I, 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 you know, um, oh, I can't even think of the, I can't even think of the, the names of the liberal blogs. So many of them professionalized after, you know, after, so did I, I mean, I went to hot air and um, so much of, so many of us professionalized, but I didn't go over to progressive outlets and say, oh, you know, Nike is supporting this blog. We should all boycott Nike over it. But that is kind of what happened with yeah. progressives. And with the mainstream media, they started attacking advertisers. It was, well, you know, who's advertising on, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah. it, it didn't really come to us. So I'm not going to say make us the, the victim here because that wasn't really the case. I don't, I, I, there's been a couple of things about Salem that have popped up, but for the most part, I mean, it was, it was smaller outfits and they were chasing advertisers off. And the whole time I'm thinking, Andrew, you're not chasing them off from a particular spot. You're basically yeah. 
you know, killing the golden goose in this. That's right. And that's kind of what happened. Yeah, killing them, killing them all off, and calling for boycotts on Fox and and what have you. Uh, that doesn't seem to have worked on Fox, which is no. kind of dominating the ratings. You know, one of the historical tenets of of the United States is that if somebody gets an idea, they can start it and run with it. And uh, if people come and they succeed, others copy them. Uh, one of and you can go back. I mean, numerous inventions. Uh, farming equipment, radios, all of that uh, started here because there was no sort of corporate aristocracy uh, was to limit it. Uh, you know, if you were born yeah. in if you were born in Europe back in the colonial days, if you were a peasant, you were a peasant, and everyone of your uh, uh, Children were peasants, and the elite were the elite. But over here, it was all flexible and changing constantly. Fox News, I mean, that's a great example. What was it, 97, I think they were invented? Something, uh, yeah. And, they, and they, made a, they made a big a big success. Um, so, you know, I, I agree with you. Let the competition sort things out, and people will... People will go to the places that are responsive. And instead of improving yourself, calling for people to boycott somebody else, it, it's, right. it's what we do because so many Americans are angry, but it's pointless. Well, I think part of this is the politicization of entire lives now. I mean, everything and in, in every choice. Mm -hmm in our lives has become politicized because it's every choice has become a battleground beer. Yeah. Beer the latest one, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, this is a little different because we're talking about boycotting advertisers on the basis of which, you know, which platform they support. You can still criticize advertisements and, and corporate decisions for endorsements. But I mean, when you try, you know, a, a good beer ad back in the day was, uh, a bar with people on either side of the bar shouting, taste great, less filling, right? <laughs> yes, I mean, yes, Conrad Dobler. Yeah, right. Yeah, Conrad Dobler, right? And uh, I think uh, John Madden made one of those. There was a bunch of those guys that made those taste great, less filling things. They're, they're great. Conrad Dobler, I think, was the first, though. Um, and, um, you know, in uh, catchy songs to a certain extent, you know, yeah. You know, you know, attractive women, uh, those sorts of things. I, I, I won't say that I was above that. I, I you know, I'm not going to claim that I was above that. I'm just saying, but those are the types of things. I mean, Madison Avenue sells sex and everybody knows that they sell sex. They sell sex, they sell power, they sell, um, uh, they, they sell status. And that's all advertising is like that. It's not just beer. It's all advertising. And the beer commercials would be kind of fun until recently. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the but same like, for the same for candy bars. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It's another one. You know, the whole M and M thing. M and M and the Hershey bars. Oh, jeez. Well, this Bud Light thing. They they issue a special can for this transgender activist named Dylan Mulvaney, and he, actually, Bud Light isn't even the worst of 
of the Dylan Mulvaney things. They actually, Nike actually hired Dylan Mulvaney to be a spokesperson, or at least compensated Dylan Mulvaney to be a spokesperson for its women's athletes sports line, right? <laughs> and he's doing this parody of a little girl thing dance as part of this thing. And actual women athletes are getting really pissed off about this because A, it means that they don't get a, 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 they don't get endorsement money and they're actually the women athletes that Nike is supposed right, to be right. representing but also B this 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 video that they put out was just such an insulting parody of women's athletics i think i forget who it was i think it was Sharon Davies who was the british olympian from 1980 uh was furious about this and wanted to boycott nike so there's another boycott for you um, and another female athlete, and this is the one I can't recall who it was, said, you know, we try to um, we try to emphasize that there's no such thing as run like a girl, throw like a girl. And here you've got Nike endorsing this guy who is doing a parody yeah. of all these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was a great uh, there were two great tweets yesterday as a result of this one. One woman tweeted that um, girls and women have a right to have their own champions, not to look up to males who are pretending to be females. Yeah. Uh, and there was another great one, uh, a guy saying that uh, uh, Mulvaney pretending to be uh, a female is like Bud Light water pretending to be a beer. <laughs> That's what I said when it first came out. I said, this is fine because Bud Bud Light really isn't beer either. So I mean <laughs> you know and the, the thing I, that really got me got me was the Hershey bars. I mean where did they pick up? I mean it's hot. I guess it's woke, but it's woke. I I haven't been struck by so many people saying, you know, I want my candy bar to go woke. I I it just yeah, it's you know, such a stretch. The only thing I really care about with candy bars is do they taste good, right? Yeah, exactly right. And the fact that uh, Hershey's with almonds has given up with their little almond chips, and now they're putting real almonds back into the Hershey bars. Now that see, that's consumer power. That is consumer power. Although I did think it was clever that the the female bar was the one without nuts and the male bar was again you know hershey's has got a good product i can kind of see bud light right because bud light you know just to be honest it stinks so does coors light so does michelob light so does miller light and for that matter so does bud coors <laughs> miller and michelob I mean, these are not good beers. They're mass-produced swill. Um, and so, yeah, maybe maybe you need the clever marketing campaigns, and maybe that's been true for decades. You need clever marketing campaigns just to cover up the fact that these really aren't that really, these really aren't well, very good products. That was Con Conrad Dobler was Miller Lite. Right. Yeah, I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of any of those beers. I don't drink a lot of beer anyway. So I guess I've been boycotting Bud Light more or less my entire life. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, but 
you know, Hershey's, Hershey's actually got a good product. I can't eat it because I can't have the sugar anymore, but it's actually a really good product. M&M's yeah. is good. Yeah, you know? it is. So and and I, I was amazed as a child when we stayed overnight there once that the town does smell like chocolate, which is a pretty good advert. Yeah, really you know, good. I mean, uh, well, I went to college at Northwestern back in the 60s when Evanston, Illinois uh, was dry. It was the, the home of the, the founders of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. You know, oh, lips, sure. yeah. lips that touch alcohol shall never touch ours. Lips, and, lips that touch wine shall never touch mine. That, yeah. That, yeah. And um, every, so the, the border with Chicago was Howard Street. So every Friday, uh, I'm told, Ed, I, I would never participate in such a law-breaking thing, but Every Friday, some seniors uh, or people who were 21 would travel down with uh, money donated by others to Howard Street to purchase beer and to bring it back into the sacred confines of Evanston, Illinois. <laughs> uh, that, that's, what, that's what I heard. Well, who am I to contradict you? Um, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. bright copies like that. Um, by the way, a lot of them, um, uh, there, a lot of them were assisted, um, by, uh, certain law enforcement, uh, uh, agencies that, um, that wasn't, um, uh, no, that, that wasn't exactly on board with the whole dry County thing. Just <laughs> yeah. So it all reminds yeah. me, though, I mean, all this alcohol, I got to tell you, my one of my favorite poems of all time is uh, it, it goes by different titles. It's an anonymous poem. I got to read this to you. I'm sure you've heard it, but just in case you haven't, it's one of my okay. favorite poems. It was early last December. As near as I remember, I was walking down the street in tipsy pride. No one was I disturbing as I laid down by the curbing and a pig came up and laid down by my side. As I lay there in the gutter, thinking thoughts I shall not utter. A lady passing by was heard to say, you can tell a man who boozes by the company he chooses. And the pig got up and slowly walked away. <laughs> that's funny. That is funny. Yeah, you my know, dad's I, the first one who told that to me. And then I actually, uh, Jim Croce actually, actually made a song out of it. It was a brief song, but he made a song out of it. Well, you're a, you're, you're a Croce fan, I believe. A huge Croce fan. Huge Croce fan. Yeah. Uh, what do you call them? <laughs> Croceites? Croce... Yeah. I don't um, know. Croceites, I guess so, yeah. Well, the lawbreakers... Well, it's not a lawbreaker. I, I wrote a story back... Uh, was in the 70s, I think. Um... Uh, about uh, one in one of the counties in um, Nevada, where uh, brothels were legal, and I went and wrote a story about Beverly Harrell, who was the madam of the Cottontail Ranch. I've forgotten the county, but she was running for Frank the county, state. Yeah. Story County is one of the counties there. That that yeah, and she uh, she was running for the state legislature. So I wrote about. Um, a madam running and how and her campaign and she bought um, ads in the high school yearbook. Uh, she was a very popular stop for the Avon ladies. 
to, uh, to, to, to sell makeup. And then I went and talked to the guy she was running against uh, about the peril. How do you how do you run against the madam <laughs> in a county where it's legal? Uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, uh, by the way, it was Esmeralda County. I, I was wrong. It was Esmeralda County. Um, okay. So yeah, I, I check these things out. I, I always that's, like to check my source. That's that's what you heard. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I heard. My older brother told me it was in, uh, it was in Esmeralda County. Um, but I mean, Dennis Hoff, it was at the Moonlight Bunny Ranch. He actually, oh, yeah, remember he ran for office and I think he died, um, just during the election. I think he died. He was very uh, happy though. <laughs> he had a happy ending, did he? I guess he must have had a happy ending. Um, but uh, how did we get on this topic again? I, kind I, of... I don't know, Ed. It's your fault. It's, it's, it's my it, show. It, I says, don't know. it says the Ed Morrissey show. Right, be, right behind me says the Ed Morrissey show. I have no idea how we got on this topic. So let's <laughs> change gears before, the, before we start Before we start hearing from upper management and your VIP column this week. Yeah. Joe Biden's countless lives have created a dangerous fantasy land for Americans. Um, yeah. Is this a is this a Disney reference? A fantasy land? Is oh that- yeah, no, far from it. What what struck me, like you said, I was I was off for a week, and I was thinking, driving along uh, the long Alabama roads, I was thinking, we're in many ways, we're living in an alternate universe here in the United States, where Joe Biden and his administration. Um, say things like the Afghan evacuation was uh, an extraordinary success. Yeah, uh, the economy is strong as hell. Um, uh, when Joe Biden was asked uh, about these suspicious activity reports produced by his own Treasury Department, showing suspicious million-dollar payments from China to members of the Biden family. And he says it it never happened. Um, it, and we just go on like he's right. Uh, he says so many. He and his people say so many things that are verifiably false, wrong, misleading, and we just go on with it. And and I was thinking it's like, you know, the emperor has no clothes on. Uh, and this little kid is the only one who says it. And the media is is looking at the naked emperor and talking about his fashion sense. It it's it's really really bizarre. And when you look at it, so much of our public life has now been permeated by falsehoods. It they they're yeah. just they're just blatantly not true, and we go on pretending like they are. And arguing over them, um, so that you know, that was the point of the column. I just thought it was, it's well, it's kind of shocking, and I and I do go into why it's dangerous. Well, absolutely, and you should read the VIP column. But it does. I, I want to bring something else up along with that because the the obvious solution to this would be to have some sort of fact checking going on in the media right <laughs> yeah. okay you're already laughing 
And, and I think I know why is because the whole fact checking, um, I don't know if you even want to call it an industry, the whole fact checking profession practice, yeah. yeah, practice is kind of already corrupt. I mean, they, they well, fact check opinion it's, as though it's, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's part of the false reality. Yeah. It's, it's, they, they, they look at it and they find some way that a portion of it is true. Or maybe none of it is true, but they say it is, and we move on. And it's yeah. it's like, wait a minute, I, I, the refs can't miss all of these calls. Uh, it's just it's just so outrageous and disturbing, and it feeds on itself. You know, I, I think uh, other people at other levels are now lying. Every everyone in politics or public life has told some stretchers that Mark Twain used to call them. Um, but this is pervasive. It's it's right. everywhere, everything. And the safest thing now with this administration is to not believe anything because most of it is false. Right. Uh, and, and this gets us back to where we started, right? Which is Elon Musk labeling certain outlets as yeah. government-funded uh, media entities, which, you know, again... NPR got very irate about this, got very huffy about it, even though they accept government funding and it's national public radio. It's called national public radio for a reason. Um, and that's because the these media outlets that accept government money tend to parrot the government line. And there's a yeah. reason for that too, because yeah. it's uh, their narrative and, right. and uh, they get favored treatment. They get the leaks uh, and yeah, it's no, not no, just no. it's not just the NPR, so it's the New York Times, it's the Washington. Oh, yeah, it's all these of them. Not, these are not but every right once now. in a while they do some of their own independent reporting, which is great. I mean, I I said this before, the the New York Times um has a fantastic foreign staff, which is on the scene writing about what they see. And I suppose you can argue about it, but I'm not gonna go to Ukraine to Bakhmut and and uh, to fact check it, uh, but it, they don't follow the narrative on the foreign coverage. The rest of it, eh. uh, but they've been very successful. The New York Times has been very successful. They've got something like ten million online subscribers, uh, so they've figured out. And it's important for our democracy that we have viable, financially viable media. I just wish it was uh, more fair. Yeah, yeah. The, um, I, you know, and I wish that they would restrict themselves to actual fact checks. And yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's this whole kerfuffle with a, a particular fact checker. I'm not going to name his name because I don't want to get into it with him. Um, who was getting fact checked himself on Twitter and didn't like it much. <laughs> Because his fact checks um, in, in those particular instances were not very good. And um, he got pretty unhappy about that. Um, well, but, if you're bought, you know, you take the heat. You know, I mean, if, if you're bought and paid for it. Honestly. Uh, or you just ignore it. I mean, that's mostly what people do uh, is ignore that criticism. Uh, if you're confident in your work, you ignore it, you know. And, and these false narratives... 
Russiagate and so on. I mean, the Washington Post and the New York Times got Pulitzer Prizes, which they have yet to return or denounce, or denounce. Uh, over over blatant, verifiable falsehoods. Yep, uh, because uh, it doesn't matter. Their their narrative yeah. worked. You know, it's truth, truth, truth should matter right. at least a little. Um, well, I, I, I was raised. I was, I was raised by a father, and he had a formula. Um, and I'm sure in his life, rest his soul, that he told some fibs now and then. But it it was very big in our relationship that I tell the truth. And if I came home with a stretcher, uh, telling um, a misleading thing about what I might have done, uh, he would look at me and he would say, right kind, meaning is it true? And that was my opportunity to parachute from the falsehood. Yeah. Uh, and if I said right kind and we shook on it, it was in cement then. And I don't think I ever did. I think that caused me to, well, maybe I don't remember quite right. Uh, to get out of it, and he would accept that because honesty, telling the truth, and taking the responsibility for your misbehavior was very important. And now it's not. I mean, you look at public life, especially in Washington, there are no consequences. There are no consequences for lying, no consequences for Solyndra. There's, 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 there's no shame. Still. There's no, no shame. There's no shame. Yeah, shame doesn't work. No consequences for Benghazi. And one of the things I pointed out in my column was, uh, you know, there's some hope that you know, with the Republican uh, House where and these investigations into Hunter's laptop and, and other things that we're going to find out uh, some truth. But don't hope too much because they did this. Uh, Republican committees did the same thing in Benghazi. And what happened? Focus. Nothing. Nothing happened. So, so yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll we'll finish up on that particular topic. By the way, go read Andrew's VIP column. That's one yeah, of my sure over redstate.com. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. This weekend, right? We, we, my mother was over for Easter and we had a nice Easter dinner. And I was talking to her, I think it was earlier in the day, about the St. Francis Dam disaster of 1928. And nobody remembers this. We were actually watching the movie Chinatown. Mm. And there's a brief reference to it in the movie Chinatown. They call it the Vanderlip Dam disaster because they, you know, they um, they fictionalized it for good reasons. They didn't want to get into, you know, the, the movie wasn't about the dam disaster anyway. Um, but um, my mother had never heard of it. Hmm. I, I think a few years ago, my sister and my wife and I had been sitting around the TV and I had mentioned it. And so we dug up some YouTube. So I, I pulled up some YouTubes on this. And I don't know if you know the, about this. Oh, sure. Place. Yeah. I lived in the town that was hit you by did. it. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, yeah, exactly. And and I mean, it, where this flood went through killed 400 and, that they know of it killed 430 something people. And there were still many others missing, apparently after that count was um, was um, finalized. Um, it was went right by where Magic Mountain's at right now. Yeah. Visalia, <laughs> you know, and um, 12. No, not, not Visalia, Valencia. Valencia, Valencia, thank you, Valencia. 
And um, 12.5 billion gallons of water poured out of that thing in an hour. And it was a 30-foot wall of water that came out of the canyon. Uh, well, I take that back. It was a 60-foot wall of water. It turned into a, uh, I think, a 20-foot wall of water once it hit the once it hit the Santa Clara Valley and turned westward out to the ocean. The whole thing flowed right out to the ocean. Anyway, the worst uh, civil engineering disaster, I think, in American history uh, in terms of loss of life. And hardly anybody ever hears about this anymore. Yeah. I always found that kind of fascinating. But the guy who designed the dam was William Mulholland. Now, William yeah. Mulholland. <laughs> no, giant. he had a shady. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he stole the water from the Owens Valley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. I mean, there's this whole thing with William Mulholland. Up to that point in time, he was a hero in Los Angeles. He was the guy who made Los Angeles possible, right? They brought yeah. the water in from the Owens Valley about 15 years before this disaster hit. And he designed the dam. He was out there that day <laughs> looking at leaks that had started to occur. And he said, oh, this is fine. This is just natural seepage. Don't worry about it. And literally hours later, the whole thing collapsed, kills 400 some people. And I'm getting, I'm telling this story because I want to make a point about accountability. When people started looking to find out who was to blame for this, William Mulholland said, don't blame anybody else. This is my fault. It's human error, and I'm the human. And he disappeared from public life, lived the rest of his life as a recluse. It wasn't very much longer anyway, um, but took full responsibility for that disaster. Oh, what a freak today. Yeah. Can you imagine somebody doing I mean, is yeah, we, we can have all sorts of debates about William Mulholland, what he meant to Los Angeles, what he stole from the <laughs> Owens Valley. Watch Watch the movie Chinatown. You get a little bit of a different picture of it. He's not the actual John Houston guy. He's the guy who gets his character is the kind of the you know parallel to the guy who's murdered in the beginning of the movie. Um, but I mean, we can have all sorts of debates over William Mulholland, very much a complicated figure. But he was a guy who took responsibility. Uh, it was his failure. I mean, it wasn't even like he was being gracious. He designed the dam. He was yeah. a self-taught engineer, and he made a basic error on this thing by adding height to it without widening the base and locating this in an, uh, you know, in a geologically unstable position in that Canyon. And all of those things added up to failure with within, I think a couple of days after they finally filled the reservoir all the way up, <laughs> it had yeah. been halfway filled up and they finally filled the reservoir all the way up. It was supposed to hold one year of drinking water for Los Angeles it was gone in an hour. Um, but he well, I, well, I lived there uh, for 20 years and uh, we had a, I don't know if it was a flash flood, but we had a flood. And of course they're ready for it now. Well, yeah. I got to tell you that was, that was just a few hundred yards from my house. That, that river, that was, that was a major movement of water. That yeah. is huge. Well, you know, talk about taking a uh, responsibility. Uh, the only time, and this is sad that, you can remember individual instances. It should be everybody, but the only time was that the commander of uh, North, the, the yeah, the head of North American Command. Yeah, he said he said that was my responsibility to see the balloon. Now it wasn't his decision to let it continue his mission. That right. was Joe Biden's, but uh, he said he should have seen it coming and anticipated the the problems. Um, and you know, it, it, 
this is a lesson when I was in public affairs for government and politics. This is a lesson. If there's bad news, get it all out at once and that's it. And then you yeah. let the wound let the wound heal. You don't let it trickle out the way the Biden's, Biden's did on the Afghan exit and the balloon right. and so many other things. The inf we're still going through the infant food uh, shortages, right. uh, which talk about lies. Uh, he Biden claims there's is over, just like the supply chain crisis. It's over, Ed. I don't know if you know that, but oh, I I wasn't aware of it. I was not aware. <laughs> All right, well, let's wrap things up with a couple of jokes of the week. Oh, yeah, and I got some. They're maybe old. I got They're maybe old. one or two. Okay, go ahead. Um, what did Neil Armstrong say when no one laughed at his joke on the moon? What? I guess you had to be there. That's right, that, and that's true. <laughs> Didn't he say that? I think he did. I, I, I think it's apocryphal, but it's still a fun story. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, guess you had to be No, there. I think he really did say that. I, oh, I remember that. Um, let's see here. Uh, Seth Meyer says that, um, uh, a Twitter employee, these are old live tweeted her baby's birth over the weekend with the hashtag in labor. The woman was forced to stop tweeting after she crushed the phone with her bare hands. <laughs> uh, there's obviously an old one, uh, uh, this must be anonymous. The campaign to put a woman on the $20 bill has been narrowed to four finalists. The four finalists are Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, Eleanor Roosevelt, and Flo from the Progressive Insurance ad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to tell me Ellen Mulvaney. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's, uh, if not still the highest paid, but she's among the highest paid um, spokespersons. You're talking about Flo from Progressive? Yeah. She should be. She's all over the television. I Again, know. I, you know, I'm not necessarily a big fan of those commercials, but I mean, clearly she's very successful. So I'm glad that she's actually, you know, reaping you know, I had a, I had a, uh, a former friend who was a pilot, 747 pilot for United, and he flew Hawaii to... Um, uh, San Francisco, uh, that route. And uh, one day he showed up for work to take the plane from, uh, well, the airport's in Burlingame, California, to take the plane to Hawaii. He showed up from work and there was a United Advertising film crew there. And they said, well, we're getting shots of planes and passengers getting on and so on. He said, okay, fine. And he got into the cockpit and they said, wait a minute, open the cockpit window lean out and salute we want to get a shot of of you saluting <laughs> and so he said really okay so he leaned out the window and he saluted with his proper hand uh and he thought nothing of it and for years after he got residuals from that ad he got 120 bucks a month <laughs> for saluting for years hey. <laughs> Why not? That's great. Yeah, oh, I know it, but it was—it's so funny. It's like you—you you don't have an agent, you don't seek the work, you just sort of go along with the company film crew, and then you just salute and you get big bucks. <laughs> All right, I got one last joke for you, Andrew. Okay, I'm here. 
All right. Mathematician finally wanders in at 3 a.m. and he proceeds to get an earful from his wife. You're late, she yells. You said you'd be home by 11.45. He says, no, no. Actually, I said I'd be home by a quarter of 12. <laughs> so he's early. <laughs> no, quarter of 12 is three. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Yeah, you got me that one. That's, that's a groaner. groaner. That's a groaner. All right. That's, well, all right. you're never going to have a groaner. If you follow <laughs> Andrew Malcolm on Twitter, I guarantee you at A.H. Malcolm on Twitter, he is the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, and neither one of us will ever discuss why we know so much about brothels in Nevada. Andrew Malcolm, next week, we'll be right back at this. Yeah, we will. Thanks very much, Ed. Thanks, everybody. See you then. Now that the political infighting is over and the sausage is being made in the House, it's time for Republicans to unite with one cause and fight back against Joe Biden and his radical administration. The GOP has promised to investigate Biden, family corruption, the border, big tech censorship collusion, the origins of COVID, the FBI, and intel agencies' attacks on the American people and more, and it's time to hold them to those promises. Here at Hot Air, we won't let up on holding them accountable. We unapologetically fight back against the radical left and squishy rhinos in Congress who fail the people. We bring you the truth and go to war against Biden's woke communist agenda. But we need your help. By becoming a VIP for uh, hotair.com, you can help us in this battle for our country. Just look at the House Democrats leader, Hakeem Jeffries. He's another divisive radical leftist and his communist Sesame Street speech proves it. If Republicans don't halt the Biden agenda and conservative media fails to hold them accountable, it could mean the end of our great country. Join us in the fight. Become a Hot Air VIP member or a VIP Gold member today and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA to receive a 40% discount on your membership. Stand with us and fight to save America. We will never give up. And thank you very much.